in Genesis chapter 2, beginning reading at verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. For there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I've entitled the message this morning simply, I Can't Breathe. It's been suggested that Genesis chapter 1 is a view of creation from God's perspective, and Genesis chapter 2 is a view of creation from man's perspective. But one thing is for sure that when God created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and they indeed became a living soul. Now, I do not know when oxygen was formed or air was formed. Uh, some theologians said the very first day of creation, God made oxygen. Some said the third day. Some said the fourth day and the firmament was divided. I don't know. I'll leave that to the Bible scholars. But one thing I do know this morning, and that's this. Uh, without oxygen, life simply cannot exist. In order for there to be human life, there must be oxygen. But yet we often act like in order to survive, we've got to have food. I look in churches all the time. At 11 o'clock, we're singing, He is Lord. And 12 o'clock, we're singing, Food is Lord. Uh, let us out of here. But the truth of the matter is, uh, we don't need oxygen to survive. The main, uh, we don't need food to survive. The very thing that we need to survive is oxygen. It's been estimated that many of us could probably live 40 days without food, but just a few moments without oxygen. Uh, many of us can live uh, for maybe uh, a, a few days without sleep but only a few minutes without oxygen. And many of us probably can go a week or so without water, but only a few moments uh, without oxygen within our body. The breath of God was, the breath of God is, and the breath of God always will be vital uh, to sustain human life. I think one of the saddest things in all the world to watch is someone gasping for breath. My mother smothered most all of her life. Uh, we found out, I think, when she was in her 50s that uh, she had a birth defect. I believe her nose was broken. And I remember as a child waking up many of a night hearing my mother go outside smothering, trying to grasp for breath and could not breathe and said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And that's the hardest thing in the world to have that memory within my mind. But that being said, I, I didn't really understand the totality of what she was going through, and I didn't grasp the gravity of uh, everything that she was saying when she said, I cannot breathe. And here in June of this year, uh, she decided she wanted to come down to Florida with my wife and I, and she hates Florida, not anything personal, don't like the heat. But she came, and uh, the whole time she was here, with the exception of about a week and a half uh, since the second week of June until last week, uh, she spent most of her time in the hospital or in a rehab center. And yet over and over again, she cried out, I can't breathe. We only found out a couple weeks before she died that for whatever reason, her lungs only worked at 38% capacity. Nobody knew why. It was a revelation to all of us. And yet we never told her for fear of panic. Uh, they would place a BiPAP machine upon her face uh, during the night in order to get the carbon dioxide out of her body. And yet the doctors called it the perfect storm. Uh, she came down with a urinary tract infection and therefore she was out of her mind a little bit, not knowing what she 
she was saying or doing because of that poison in her body. A pulmonary a, a, a heart disease with fluid around the lungs and not able to breathe. And plus, on top of all of that, uh, she was unable uh, to have her lungs working and the oxygen simply was not there and the carbon dioxide would build up on the inside. And yet, they were in the hospital. It's a hard thing to see when your mother's lying there with oxygen being forced into her body and she cries out, I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe. And knowing that breath is so vital uh, to the human life that we know of today. And yet they were, for the last five days or so there, she was unable to eat at all uh, because they were forcing oxygen into her body. And if they put food in her mouth, it would just probably go into her lungs like a suction cup. And then after a while, they began to puree everything that she ate uh, to try to get a little bite of this, a little bite of that. And yet there were still times lying there, sitting there, whatever she said, I can't breathe. And yet with that being said, there's not a thing that we could do for her, the doctors couldn't do for her, except to bring the oxygen levels a little higher. And they were already on the highest level uh, that they possibly could be. But how sad it is to say, I cannot breathe. Uh, as a nation, not long ago, uh, we watched in great horror as George Floyd cried out, I cannot breathe. And with, with um, I was just so taken back with the fact that here's a man that basically was suffocated to death. I can only imagine what it would be like to drown, uh, to be in the water and trying to get air and can't do it and the lungs filling up with water. I played football in, 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 in elementary school, in the middle school, in high school, and I know what it's like to have the breath knocked out of you uh, trying to get breath back into the lungs. But friend, let me tell you, oxygen is vital to survival, and without it, life will come to a halt within minutes. Thank God for breath. Thank God for air. I thank God for lungs that can breathe. And thank God this morning for uh, the oxygen of God uh, that helps the vital organs of our body. Now, I am not a medical doctor, and I would not begin to tell you all of the important things about oxygen. But I did do a little research a couple weeks ago about the importance of oxygen. I'd like to give you, if I may, a brief, a brief synopsis. Uh, let me just simply say, oxygen fuels our cells and helps provide the basic building blocks that our body needs just simply to survive. Our cells contain uh, a combined oxygen with nitrogen and hydrogen to produce various proteins uh, that build new cells within our bodies. When oxygen is combined with carbon and hydrogen, you get carbohydrates that provide energy to the body uh, that's necessary uh, to us for us to live. Oxygen is also necessary uh, for constructing replacement cells within our bodies. Every day about 700 billion cells in our bodies wear out and they must be replaced. And oxygen is vitally important uh, for that to happen. Without oxygen, our body simply cannot build a brand new cells. Oxygen is also important, a part of our immune system. It's used to kill bacteria and it fuels the cells that make our body's defense systems against viruses and other invaders. It also is important to note that the human eye uh, itself in particular uh, needs oxygen in order to function well. The eye receives oxygen in a manner that's unique to the rest of the body. Blood vessels, a few of them, uh, travel to the eye so our eyes absorb much of the oxygen they need directly through the cornea. The cornea is built in such a way uh, to diffuse oxygen directly to the body uh, from the air. If the air has traveled through air purifiers first, it can enter the eye without causing irritation. And finally, the human circulatory system uh, takes the oxygen throughout the body and brings the carbon dioxide uh, back through the lungs again. This entire
entire process is repeated with every breath that the human body takes. Oxygen performs many vital functions for our bodies. It's important that we get a lot of fresh air every day. Friend, we all know that oxygen uh, fuels the body and helps the body. Uh, oxygen is necessary uh, for human life in particular and all life in general. Without the breath of God, without oxygen, without air, there will be no life. Now, I'm sure that all of us have attended more funerals in our life than we ever care to attend. But we will go to the funeral home or to the church and we'll look down in that casket and we'll see a family member, a loved one, a friend or associate and we look down and then we say, you know what? They look really good. Uh, they try to make the body as lifelike as they could while they were alive. They put makeup upon the face and the hands in order to try to give color uh, to that dead corpse. Uh, they will put jewelry on the body uh, to make them look like they did when they were alive. Uh, the hair will be made up uh, and, and groomed properly. Uh, they will put on suits of clothes to the men and beautiful dresses for the women. And yet they look like they're really looking good. But there's one problem. There is no air in those lungs. There is no oxygen in that lung. Uh, the heart is not beating. And we also know that the blood is not flowing uh, through the circulatory system as well. Uh, there is no breath whatsoever there. The breath is gone, but the body remains. Now with that being said, let me use that as a caveat for my point this morning. What oxygen is to the human body, the Spirit of God, the breath of God is uh, to the church today. And what I'm afraid of this morning, uh, just as my mother cried out more times than not, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. The church is acting the same way as if though we cannot breathe. For too long we have been born in the fires of revival and we have settled for the smoke of that revival. And the church has been on life support system a long, too long, my friend. And we may not say it outwardly, but inwardly we're crying out I can't breathe I can't breathe I can't breathe but let me assure you one thing we serve a God who can get us off life support and we serve a God that can breathe uh, not just natural breath into our body but he can breathe a pneuma the spirit of the living God uh, back into his church again and we can be revived and be doing exploits uh, for the God who saved us and the God who put us on a mandate to turn the world right upside down again I'm tired of not being able to breathe I'm tired of being suffocated by the enemy of my soul. I'm tired of circumstances holding me down. Today, my friend, my mama's breathing today. And today the church can breathe again too if we allow God to come on the scene. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Look at me in John chapter 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them the hands and his side. And they were disciples glad, and they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had, had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Here is a picture of the disciples of the first day after Easter. Uh, they had lost their teacher to death. They had lost their Lord to death. Uh, they had lost their best friend to death. They watched Jesus uh, as he was arrested. They watched Jesus as he was tried. Uh, they watched Jesus as he was beaten. Uh, they watched Jesus as he was crucified. 
And they watched Jesus as he died. And they watched Jesus as he was buried uh, in the tomb and the seal was placed over it. Like most of the Jews of that day, uh, they thought that Jesus was a long way to the Messiah uh, that would once again free them uh, from the Roman occupiers. Uh, They thought Jesus was the Messiah uh, that would once again uh, put Israel back in the limelight of where they need to be a nation that people uh, would be proud of once again. But the breath had been knocked out of them. They were paralyzed with fear, uh, hiding behind locked doors, just trying uh, to breathe, if you will. Friend, when you can't breathe, nothing else in the world matters. Are you hearing me? It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter what you're supposed to be doing. If you can't breathe, the only thing you think about is learning how to breathe. Mary Magdalene comes along and she simply said, I've seen uh, the resurrected Lord, but they didn't believe it. It brought no consolation to them. Uh, they were claustrophobic, uh, hiding behind those doors, not covering at all. And now these fishermen that promised to be fishers of men, they were hiding behind closed door uh, with a breath knocked out of them. Friend, many of us in this room today, we know what it's like to be stomach punched. We know what it's like to be sucker punched. We know what it's like to be lying flat on our back, gasping for breath and not being able to breathe whatsoever. But in the place where you are and the mission that God has called the church to be and what he's called us to do, many of us are just lying there trying to grasp for breath, uh, trying to breathe once again, and we're not able to do uh, the things that God's asked us to do. Life seems to be on hold. Uh, uh, we are simply uh, uh, grasping for breath uh, for life and for revitalization. But then suddenly, unexpectedly, and surprisingly, Jesus walks into the room and simply said, come and stood in the midst, in the midst of their fears while they were trying to get their breath from all that had happened. He shows up in stuffy places of life. He shows up in the stuffy places of your life. He'll show up in the stuffy place of the church. Uh, where the ashes of yesterday are stinking, uh, where the sacrifices of yesterday are stinking. You know why they call these things pews? Uh, because we sit in our rot, we sit in our experiences of yesterday, and God looks down and goes, pew, because it stinks in his nostril. We don't need that, friend, when we can have the vitality and the energizing of the Spirit of the living God in our life today. He shows up in the place and speaks words of peace. His blessing was, peace be unto you. The first thing he told them, peace. Why? Because he knew what they had been through. He knew how the life, had, uh, the air had been knocked right out of their entire being at that particular time. They were experiencing the pressure of the world, but Jesus had risen uh, from the grave, overcoming the world, and he cried out with a promise to bring peace and to bring authority and to bring joy in serving him. He invited disciples to examine the evidence of his victory. Touch me, touch my side, touch my hands. Jesus showed in the middle of the fear and says, you can have a personal encounter with me. Too many Christians today, we have a personal encounter with religion. We have a personal encounter of yesterday's experience. We have a religion that we use, but the God of this book says, I want you to have a relationship with a Savior that lives. And I'm here to check to tell you he still can breathe upon us uh, once again this morning every one of them were welcome to examine Jesus Christ from themselves and that brought them peace for the Bible said they saw him for themselves Mary Magdalene's testimony about the encounter of Jesus was not enough to move them to where they could breathe again let me tell you something brothers and sisters Uh, God uh, does not intend for us to live for him 
based on somebody else's experience. I said, God doesn't intend for you and me to live for him based on somebody else's experience. I'm here to tell you, if New Life Assembly of God don't want to move of the Lord, he'll call individuals out of this church from the secret closet and he'll rain down the presence of God. He'll rain down the glory of God. He'll breathe upon you, my friend. Fresh life, fresh power, fresh anointing to do the things that God has enabled. And if we don't want it here, he'll find the church, the first church, the Frigidaire down the road. He'll thaw them out and breathe life upon him. I don't know about you, but oh God, put new life back into new life this morning. Breathe on us again, oh God. Rain down from heaven this morning. Friend, even now in the middle of the locked doors of fear, Jesus entered in speaking peace and inviting them to touch him. Can you feel his presence this morning? He shows up when the wind's knocked out of us. He shows up when life has knocked us down. And in his presence, we can breathe again. Mama's breathing today. Mama's breathing today, praise God. Hallelujah. No more machines. No more things to keep her alive. Get off of life support, church. Put your hand in the hand that conquered death and hell and the grave and breathe down the power of an almighty God. Hallelujah. Chandra Bahandaya. Glory to God. Mm. When you can't breathe, the only thing that has meaning is breathing. Now he speaks a second blessing to them. Notice this. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The word translated, pneuma, spirit, wind, breath. Jesus did not give his disciples an explanation as to why they couldn't breathe. The emphasis is not on what they can't do. The emphasis is on the one who will do. I said, the emphasis is not on what we don't do. The emphasis is on what he will, he can, and he desires to do. No, Jesus breathed. One commentator said, Jesus breathed. He shows us that it can be done uh, in breath, his life-giving power upon us because he wants us to continue the mission he's given us in this world. We cannot do it without him breathing on us. We can't do it without his touch upon us. We can't do it without his anointing. We can't do it without his unction. We can't do it without his wisdom. We cannot do it uh, without him. The Holy Spirit is power to breathe again. Early in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist came by and he said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but one comes after me that is preferred for me. He shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and in fire. In other words, we will be immersed in his spirit. He sent his disciples in Jerusalem. Can you imagine? Jesus Christ died because he claimed to be the son of God. He rose from the grave because he was the son of God. He ascended back to the right hand of God the Father praying for the church. Not that we live on the experiences of yesterday, but that we have a vital relationship with him today. In Luke 24, 49, the message from the empty tomb, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They went. Let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave, he was seen alive for 40 days in 13 different places by 552 different individuals. 
These men were willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ because they knew he was alive. They were willing to die a death of a martyr. They were willing to suffer the ridicule and, the, and, and whatever it was because they knew they were living for a God who was alive and that they had seen his power. They had experienced his power and he had told them the same things I do, you shall do because I go back to my Father which is in heaven. The works that I do, you will do in greater works. So they didn't have no other idea to do but go back to Jerusalem and they waited and they waited and they waited. There could have been as many as 552 people in the upper room for all I know, uh, but they waited a day or two and some left. Uh, three or four days and more left. Four or five days and more left. But there was a group of people that had skin in the game and they said, he is our Lord. If he said it, he's going to do it. If he spoke it, it will bring to pass. If it takes us 40 years to be here, we'll wait 40 years for what he said is rightfully ours. But they didn't wait for 40 years. Uh, when 10 days was fully uh, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, suddenly there come a mighty rushing wind that entered into the house and cloven tongues of fire set upon each and every one of them and the power of God came upon them not just to speak in tongues but to give them power and authority and fresh breath brothers and sisters to do the work that God had called them to do may I remind you the fire of Pentecost is important but again without oxygen without breath there can be no fire I say without oxygen, there can be no fire. And I am afraid today, brothers and sisters, the church looks too much like the corpse in the casket. Having a form of life without any life at all. The modern day church functions by and large at its own strength, its own wisdom, its own ingenuity, its own form, its own ritual. We learn how to do church. You can go to some churches today and be entertained and all the entertainment is good. The talent is phenomenal. They'll move your feet. They'll move you to shout. But what do you got when the shout's all over? Friend, it's not how high you jump. It's how you walk when you hit the ground. And yet the truth of the matter is, uh, there today that many go through for many churches would continue on to survive and continue on week in and week out if the Holy Spirit would remove himself. Many churches would go on business as usual because we don't rely upon him. We don't depend upon him. We don't flow in the Spirit of God. There are churches you go to and the gifts of the Spirit operate. People are scared. Of what happened? What happened? And preachers are going to say this is what happened. We've stifled the Lord right out of the building. We've put demands upon God that he's not put upon us. Let go and let God breathe upon us again. The Spirit of the living God. Well, preacher, aren't you afraid of wildfire? Lord in heaven, no. There's enough wet blankets sitting around to put out any wildfire in a church. You know I'm talking the truth. Pentecostals have always looked at the early church in the book of Acts as a model of a healthy church life, as a benchmark that contemporary churches can use to judge their own effectiveness and their own health. Brothers, the church in Acts was not without their problems. They had their problems, but they had an anointing. They had a mandate. It was vibrant. The church was growing, and it was energized not by pumped up flesh, but by the Spirit of God. They were not long on muscularity and short on spirituality. They were plugged in to the Holy Spirit. In many countries today, Pentecostal churches do resemble the church of the book of Acts. They have explosive growth, and by the frequent occurrences, miraculous power of God is being manifest among them. 
But let me share this with you. It seems like today uh, that the center of Christianity is moving from Europe and North America into Asia, into Latin America, and also into Africa. In those countries, Christianity is growing, is morally and theologically conservative, and largely Pentecost. One hundred years ago, there were only a handful of spirit-filled believers. But today, the number of Pentecost and charismatic worldwide is estimated to be more than a half billion people. One out of every four Christian you see today is Pentecostal or is charismatic in belief. Nevertheless, if you observe it, Pentecostalism in North America and in Europe, it seems to be powerless at best. A pale reflection of the glory that we read about uh, there in the book of Acts itself. Why is that? Well, there's probably two reasons. Number one, many people who attend Pentecostal churches today are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they've not experienced the power to witness and, and, and experience the power of God as they did in the New Testament church. And second reason it is, is the fact that many people in Pentecostal churches are spirit-filled, turn inward of focusing their spiritual energy on the events within the church building, rather than touching people in the marketplace and touching people on the street corners. In other words, we become more self-seeking and more self-serving. Worship has often replaced the primary purpose of evangelism. Now, I, I wasn't a Christian back in the charismatic outpouring. But from what I've read from church history, when the Holy Spirit was outpoured upon the Methodists, the Baptists, Presbyterian, the Catholics, you name it, they had a zeal that was second to none. They were up here in the zeal level, but down here in the wisdom level. But when I gather in Pentecostal circles, they were up here in the wisdom level and down here in the zeal level. If somehow the charismatic and the Pentecostal could have got together, but oh no, there was jealousy in the ranks, false doctrine among these people, but the charismatic people made some of the same mistakes that our forefathers made in early Pentecost. But if we could come together somewhere, it's a sight where could have been enough, we wanted to fight each other, and we still do. We're kind of like the disciples. Lord, those people are casting out demons. Your name should what we do. He said, leave them alone. Let them minister. Let them minister. We don't have to be twins to be brothers. Oh, breath of God, breathe upon us. If we're alive, if we're born again, I don't care what denomination you belong to. Baptize the Methodist. Baptize the Baptist. Baptize the Pentecostal. Baptize the Roman Catholic. Let's see the presence of God do his work today. Amen. Worship has often taken the place of our zeal with the Lord. That was not the temptation of the early church. They didn't have any buildings. They didn't have no orchestra. They didn't have any band. They didn't have any uh, choirs. They didn't have anything to hear. They were spirit-filled and they went out and they turned the world upside down. But nowadays we have relegated evangelism to the four walls of the church. We build the building and say, okay, Lord, send them in. He didn't tell us to build buildings and ask them to come in. He said, we in here should go on the highways and byways and compel them to come in. The Word of God lets me know that, yes, we want to worship. There's a place for that. But, friend, when we worship in here, we enjoy the Spirit. We are possessed with the Spirit. I don't want to to just have a visitation. I want a holy habitation. No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Spirit of God. You may be like me, like a small chapel. But move on in, Spirit of God. Move on in, Holy Ghost, and work through me for the power of God to be seen and displayed. But we have so much of our ministry inside the building. Can I tell you something? Powerless Pentecostalism is a contradiction. 
Powerless Pentecostalism is a contradiction. When Pentecostal churches are not Pentecostal, we are not effective. Amen. Brother McDaniels, perhaps you can attest to this, my brother. 50, 60 years ago, more than half the sermons preached on Pentecost in the Pentecostal pulpit emphasized the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Today, 2-3% perhaps preaches on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. No wonder we are in such bad shape today. Yes, my friend, there was a time in early Pentecost where Pentecostals were on the other side of the track. We looked, they were looked upon our forefathers that they had hayseed in their hair and they just didn't have all their pickles in a jar. They were a french fry away from a happy meal, you know. But all of a sudden the Lord began to do things and, and, and the Lord began to move and people began to be saved and now we're on the other side of the tracks. We have our beautiful buildings. We have the affluent attending our churches and thank God for it. We now have medical professions coming in and, 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 and people of professionalism. There. Thank God for it. But what I'm trying to say, friend, we've not arrived because of that. When, all of, when we come in and just entertain ourselves, we push the Holy Spirit out the back door. But what I'm saying, whosoever will come, but whosoever will make room for the Spirit of God to work in your life. Because we are Pentecostal, not just in theology and not just in doctrine, but may it be so in our experience day in and day out. In the 1970s or the 70s and 80s, many charismatic from mainline uh, congregations flooded our churches. But a transformation took place in Pentecostalism. Worship became the thing. It's all about worship. Yeah. It's fine. Let's find the gifts of the Spirit operating among us so we're more spiritual. I guess that's fine. I will say it again. I've said it many times. If you look at Old Testament worship, there was the court of the Gentiles. There was a holy place and the holy of holies. And this is what's happened, in my opinion, to the Pentecostal churches, a part of it. The court of the Gentiles was used for a place where people could learn about Israel's God. The holy places where they came in to offer up their sacrifice in the holy of holies that went into once a year in order that people could get their sins forgiven. I liken that in our worship service. We start in the courtyard singing horizontal praises about how great our God is, what a mighty God he is. So people are, t we're testifying of the goodness of our God. And I mean, there's shouting going on out there and there people are loving, it. oh, it's exuberant, it's wonderful. But then we move into the holy place in our worship now and praise should be more vertical. We're praising and talking to our God. And once we get in the holy of holies, we're broken in his presence yeah. and we see the Shekinah and we get our mandate from him. But here's the thing that scares me. We've got people out here in the court of the Gentile talking it up, living it up, shouting it up. And these same people many times have never met the God in the Holy of Holies. Amen. And church, let me assure you today, the veil has been broken. Yep. It's been torn in two from top to bottom. Not only do we get to go inside there, we can live inside that veil. Yeah. And it's there the glory of God once again wants to breathe upon the church so that we can be the church triumphant. The world at its worst needs us at our best. And if we keep on doing what we've always done, we're going to keep on getting what we've always got. But if we'll come out and say, oh God, blow your breath upon us once again. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about pumped up flesh. I'm not talking about goosebumps up and down the spine. I'm talking about a genuine move of God Amen. that'll empower and energize us to do great exploits for God. Too many times, the Pentecostal Church of America looks like the corpse in the casket when we should be breathing in the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to be living through us. 
Far too long we've been on life support system as a church, bound by rules, bound by regulations, bound by form ritual, and breathing on a time on a low level when the whole time the Lord wants to breathe life back into us. Hear me, my friends. Get in this thing or get out of it. Amen. Quit playing around with God. Quit being bench warmers on the sideline. Get in the game. I said get in the game. Don't get mad at me, but Jesus Christ is not coming back for gutter saints. He's coming back for glorious saints. The days are tough. Compromise is all around us. And being religious is not enough to darken the door of the church a couple times a week. We've got to get in this thing together. And brothers and sisters, we better give him our best. Get your head in the game. Get off your blessed assurance and roll up your sleeve and say, God, I remember what it was like to have the touch of God upon my life. But I've allowed this to happen, that, and whatever. He's not concerned too much about where we've been as long as we'll come back and put our vessel under the spout where the glory of God is again to be outpoured. Get off the sideline. He's gifted you with talent. He's gifted you with abilities today. And he's brought us to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. He gave us his best. And he wants to give us even more by the outpouring of the spirit of the living God. Let's get off life support this morning and allow Jesus to breathe upon us again. Because church, what I see Many of us can't breathe. And if you'll be honest, you'll cry out today, God, I can't breathe. Something is suffocating. Something has, has bent the wires, bent the plug, if you will. At the hospital a few days ago, one of the people came in and kicked the machine. And the life support, not life support, but the oxygen my mother had was gone. Something happened. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. But they put it back on. Something's knocked the machine out of our life. But when the day of Pentecost was come, they were baptized. There's only one initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there are many refillings today. Amen. Pentecost, they in the upper room. Oh, they received. They had the power to witness. They had the power to heal. They had the power to cast out demons. They had the power to stand up in the midst of persecution. They had the power to stop sinning and start winning souls to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Breathe on us, O God.